to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to finish the chapter this morning with verses 7 through 8. And it's really uh, part two of our study uh, last week together. And uh, it's God's comfort for suffering in Christ. God's comfort for suffering in Christ, part two, if you want. Just a brief review of the intro from last week. <clears throat> in chapter one of Second Corinthians four, I'm sorry, in chapter one of, of Second Corinthians, we saw God's comfort of life's plans, because many times our plans are much different than God's plans. And, you know, we, we need that comfort when things don't go the way we planned them or thought they would. In the second chapter, we saw God's comfort in restoring sinning saints. That is, those who fall into sin and stray away from the Lord. We see God's comfort in restoring them and bringing them back into the sheepfold and to the rightful place you know, of, of, of being in the fold. And then in chapter 3, Paul showed us God's comfort in the ministry that we serve. All right, the ministry that we serve Christ in. And then now in chapter 4, we're going to see God's comfort in the ministry of suffering for Christ. All right, suffering for Christ. From the glory of the new creation that is being born again, the glory of the new creation that is of salvation, Paul now moves from the, from the humility of the earthen vessel or clay jar. He's going to talk about it. The believer is just a clay jar, the earthen vessel. Uh, it's the treasure inside their vessel <clears throat> that God gives the vessel its value that that gives the vessel its value in other words it's not the vessel that's as important as what's in the vessel the light the light of Christ now Paul speaks to us about the excellence of the gospel here and he points to the fragile clay jars of which we are we are fragile clay jars. Look at the first part now of verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels or clay jars. In Paul's day, you could buy pottery lamps in the marketplace. They were cheap and they were made very flimsy, but that didn't matter because it wasn't about the vessel. What mattered again was what was inside them. And that was the light that they held. We must focus on the treasure inside the vessel. That is the light and not the vessel itself. Paul wasn't afraid of suffering for, or, or, or trials. Because Paul knew that God would guard the vessel as long as he was guarding the treasure inside the vessel. God allows trials. God controls trials. God uses trials for his own glory. <clears throat> God is glorified through weak vessels. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When Paul had the affliction, 
He prayed three times for, it, for, for God to heal him, but God didn't for whatever reason. And Jesus told Paul, Paul, my grace is enough. It will make you perfect in your weakness. J. Hudson Taylor, the missionary who opened inland China to the gospel, used to say this. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. Sometimes God allows our vessels to be broken. Why? So that some of the treasure will spill out and touch others. So it will enrich others. And just like the lamps of Gideon's men, the pitchers, earthen vessels, they had to be broken so the precious light inside could shine in the dark. And we have to be broken at times if the light of Jesus Christ is to shine in us and be seen. And Paul describes the suffering that he had to go through in order for the light of the gospel and the life of Christ to shine into the dark world. Suffering reveals not only the weakness of man, but it also reveals the glory of God in man. John said in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, In him, that is Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. Now you would think that God would have chosen a beautiful, sturdy vessel for holding such precious contents, that is the light, but he didn't. We have this treasure that is the light of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this beautiful light, Christ living in clay jars. Again, you would think, wow, why couldn't the vessel have been, you know, real, real sturdy and real strong and, and, and you know, just, you know, really embellished with all beauty? No, because you see, again, what needs to be seen is not the vessel, but the contents of the vessel, the light, the light of Christ. Look at the second part of verse 7 now. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, it's so unbecoming, it, it seems so unbecoming to use a clay jar. But again, Paul says, so it, it, it's so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We don't want people looking at us. We don't want people looking at the vessel, but what's inside the vessel, Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31, he speaks about God has chosen the weak things. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. We have abundant and absolute power as well. The word for excellence here, means abundance or exceeding greatness. The word power in this verse here is dunamis. It means unrestricted, unhindered, unsurpassed power. Satan cannot match it. And as I said last week, Satan is not God's equal. He doesn't even come close. Satan cannot match God's power. Satan's miserable slaves may be blinded by his clever and deceiving words and his great-sounding nonsense. But Satan knows better than anybody else that what he is doing and what he says is just a scam. It's just a big scam. Satan's just a big rip-off. And in, and in the words, and in the phrase of God, where Paul says the, in the phrase again, the excellence of God, 
This means the power for soul winning and for Christians not only comes from God, it belongs to God. Again, the, the, the power for soul winning and the power that Christians need not only comes from God, it belongs to God. And He doesn't part with it. This power is His. It's His alone and it's used by Himself and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That power is brought about in human lives through the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. That's the same word used in the, in the, in the uh, verse before. Dunamis power. It's the, God, uh, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Paul has been defending his message since chapter 3. And he's not finished yet. He talks about the problems that he faces in his ministry. Now, anytime you plan to do a work for God, you can be sure you are going to have problems of some kind. Now, many of us seem to forget that fact. But Paul gives us a good reminder about problems. Look at verse 8. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Paul's days were filled with problems. For example, persecution and hardship. He said in verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. That's the life of the Christian. And we need to, you know, I know we hear that, we're taught that, but... I don't really think it, 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 we take it to heart. It's the life of the believer. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, and from the New Living Translation, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Many times we are surprised. We, we go into shock. We're stunned. But Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. As if something strange was happening to you. He said, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. With a lot of us, the minute something gets in the way of our plans, we get all bummed out. We get blown away. We get frustrated. We fall apart. But not Paul. The word for hard-pressed in verse 8 refers to sufferings caused by the pressure of circumstances or by people who come against us, like the legalists who are trying to disrupt and overthrow Paul's work at Corinth. Now, many times you think, and we do, we we think that, that because we're busy doing the Lord's work that we won't have any problems. On the other hand, if there's sin, well then we're going to have problems. We can understand experiencing problems. But most people, they go into ministry and and, being young in Christ and and being immature as a believer. All right? You think that when you're obeying the Lord and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and and, and when those tough times come, that makes it hard to take. Lord, I'm serving you. I'm obeying your word. I'm doing everything that I I need to be doing. and, And yet, I'm having problems. But Paul, who has done great service to the Lord, is the one who's troubled here. There wasn't anyone, that, you know, he was one of many, maybe, that, or, or should say, that, that, that did what Christ told him to do. He obeyed the Lord. He served the Lord. But here he is. He's the one who's troubled. 
<clears throat> Paul says that I'm, pressure, I'm under pressure from every side. And it doesn't matter where or how you serve the Lord in every area that is on every side of your ministry, there may be, your, there may be problems. And a pastor will often learn that there's no place in his ministry at a church that doesn't have frustrating problems. Again, it's a given. And even though Paul was hard-pressed, he says he wasn't crushed. The words hard-pressed pressed carries the idea of being in a narrow place. Paul got into those narrow places, but you know what? He was always looking up. We always tend to look around at the situation that we're in. We look at the place that we're in. We look at the conditions that we're suffering under. But Paul was always looking up. Paul may have been crushed, but he wasn't cornered. He wasn't boxed in. He says he was perplexed. The word perplexed means to have no way out. He says, but he wasn't in despair. And there are times in ministry when you come to a place where you just don't know what to say or what to do. Why? Because of the troubles and because of the problems that you're dealing with at the moment. But he says he wasn't in despair. Which means he wasn't at a loss as to what to say or what to do. Paul mentioned a situation when he, back in chapter 1 verse 8 where he thought the only way out was death. He thought he was going to die. That he, that would be the only way that he was going to get out of the situation that he was in. But even that was only temporary. It wasn't a long-term condition. Now that might sound like a contradiction. Paul's talking here about, you know, the, the positive and, and, and not, not being knocked down and, and not knocked out. And, and yet I was almost in a time where I was going to die. It's not a contradiction. In other words, Paul was at a loss, but you see, he wasn't hopeless. That's the wonderful thing about being a believer. We can be at a loss, but not hopeless, because you see, he is our hope. And where there is no, where there is no hope, there is no expectation. It wasn't a hopeless loss that Paul was in. And we often find ourselves in a place where we don't know what to do, and yet there's always a way of escape, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He always enables us. He always gives us a way of escape. When we look back, we can often see the Lord's leading in our lives more than, and more than when we're facing a decision. That's when we really find God leading in our lives, when we are in a bad situation. And also, and then we see in Paul, in verse 9, he was suffering from persecution. Look at verse 9. He says, we are... He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Persecution is serious. Persecution is not always an easy trial. Persecution can be life-threatening, and it was definitely the same in Paul's case. But you know what? Paul never complained about it. He said, persecuted, but not forsaken. That was his testimony. He wasn't abandoned. Paul always found that he was never left alone to deal with his problems. In Acts chapter 27, verses 18 through 24, when Paul was on his way to Malta, and he was going through that bad storm, and the ship was about to, to, to fall apart, he says, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You see, there was one who walked beside Paul every step of the way, and he's the same one who walks beside us every step of the way. Paul says that he was struck down but not destroyed. Now, being struck down is a picture of of somebody being overtaken by his attackers and then thrown to the ground over and over and over again. It's like those boxing matches. If you watch boxing, when guys just knocks him down to the ground, he gets back up, takes the eight count, gets knocked down again, and pretty soon they just have to stop the fight. But Paul kept getting knocked down, knocked down, got down. He said, but didn't stop the fight. He got back up again. You could compare it to Paul's imprisonments as being knocked down over and over again because he was put in prison several times. He was put in prison when he was in Jerusalem. He was imprisoned in Philippi. He was imprisoned in Caesarea. He was was imprisoned twice in Rome. So Paul definitely knew what it was like to be thrown down to the ground repeatedly, but not destroyed. Even though Paul had been thrown to the ground over and over and over again, he got up each time. And even though over and over again it must have seemed like the enemy had a death grip on him, Paul just laughed in his face. You know, his attitude was, Satan, you think you can destroy me? No way. My soul is safe. Nobody could keep him down. Paul's enemies could attack him. They could criticize him. They could ridicule him, even kill him. But they couldn't win. He would just be a martyr for the glory of God. The enemy was frustrated with Paul. He didn't know what to do with Paul. I mean, what do you do with a guy like Paul? How do you handle a man like Paul? How do you destroy a man like Paul? Because... You know, you put him in prison. And what does he do? He converts the jailers. He writes inspired letters like the ones all through the New Testament. If you let him go, guess what? He just turns the world upside down for Jesus. You beat him up, he sings. You run him out of town, he just goes to the next one. You kill him and you simply promote him to heaven. And he receives the victor's crown. This was the victorious life of Paul in Christ. Do our trials, do our troubles have a reason or a purpose? You bet they do. And Paul shows the great purpose of these problems. They promote the work of God so that we can say like James, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, because when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, per- you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James 1, 2. So now in verses one, 8 through 9, we've learned how God preserves us in our problems. Now, what was the secret of Paul's victorious life? Look at the first part of verse 10. He says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. 
That was Paul's attitude towards his persecutions. He was a man who was always experiencing death with Jesus. The carrying of the pain. When he says he was always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, he, he was carrying the pain. It was the carrying of the pain. The word carrying here involves pressure. Paul was under such constant pressure from the load that he had to carry. The words in the body, it speaks of the body in the pain. And many times troubles are often physical pain. Paul experienced many other problems, but here he emphasizes the physical troubles, the physical pain that he experienced and that he had in his ministry. The brutality in the pain. The, 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 the brutality in the pain. The physical pain. It says, you know, he, he, the brutality, the, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Paul's troubles nearly cost him his life. In Acts 14, 19, it says that he was stoned and the people thought he was dead. They threw rocks at him till they thought he was dead. This was the normal thing. This was the norm for Paul. His sufferings would have overwhelmed a lesser man. But the dying of the Lord Jesus is the fact that his constant exposure to danger and death, death was in reality, it was a practical sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It was an everyday thing for Paul. Again, the brutality in the pain that he suffered, he was whipped by the Jews five times. He was beaten with robs, rods. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a night in the day in the deep. He experienced weariness and toil. He went without sleep often. And he was hungry and thirsty, hungry, cold and naked many times. Again, the brutality of his sufferings, the pain of his suffering. This was the first secret of his victorious life. He said that he... He, he carried about in him the, the dying of the body of Jesus Christ. He lived at the cross. This is a secret. He lived at the cross. He said, I die daily. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He wanted to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul didn't look for persecution, but he didn't run away from it. He didn't run from suffering and death. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, and this is a verse that, that we probably have heard many times, but I think it's a verse that we have to make one of those that we, we remember all the time. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, and a lot of people desire to come after him. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. But if you notice between the desire to follow and following him, there's a denial of self and a dying to self. Many times that's, where the, that's why they never get to following Jesus because they're not willing to, to do what they need to do to meet the desire to follow Christ. Die, denying ourselves every day in a thousand ways, denying ourselves, our desires, our cravings, what, whatever the flesh wants, and then dying on, the, on that cross. You see, when you were called to Jesus, you were called to die. Coming to Christ is a call to die. 
Not only was Paul always experiencing death with Christ, he was always living a life in Christ. Look at the second part of verse 10. He says, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or seen in our body. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is the second part of his victorious life. Even though Paul, Paul had this treasure, this gospel in an earthen vessel. And even though he was hard-pressed and persecuted nonstop, he was victorious. Why? Because the Lord lived in him. That's why Paul wasn't afraid of anything. And that's why his life produced fruit. In his life was constant proof of a living and dwelling Christ, causing him to get victory over all of his circumstances, no matter what they were. He knew the overcoming and sustaining power of the indwelling Christ. Paul's purpose, Paul's determined purpose was that he may know Christ. That he may know him more and more and that he might become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him and the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3.10 Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of Christ more strongly and more clearly. He said that I may in, in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. That power that exerts, that, that exerts over believers. And that I may also share in his sufferings. So that I may be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. And hoping, if possible, that I might reach spiritual and moral a resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead while I'm in this body. And then Paul now explains the victorious life that he had and that should also be ours in Jesus Christ. We see him first sharing in Christ's resurrection. We see how the indwelling life of the resurrected Christ benefits the believer in Christ. Look at verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He says, our life is in constant danger because we serve the Lord. But this gives us constant opportunities to show the power of Jesus Christ within our dying bodies. And we see how the indwelling life of the resurrected Christ benefits the body of Christ. Look at verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. He says, because of our preaching, we face death. But our preaching has resulted in eternal life for you. He says the purpose of our troubles is to make Jesus Christ known. To make him manifest in our dying bodies. It's for Jesus' sake that we suffer these troubles, he says in verse 11. There could be no higher purpose in suffering than to suffer for the sake of of our Savior and our God. The second purpose is for the redemption of souls. He said in verse 12, death is working in us, but life in you. The words life in you speaks of the salvation of souls. In other words, Paul suffered so that others would be saved. So these two purposes, these two purposes 
to make Jesus Christ known and for the redemptions of souls. These two purposes are excellent reasons for suffering in our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul still had more to offer. Paul wasn't just sharing in Christ's sufferings. He was going to share in his resurrection as well. Look at verse 13. He says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up, uh, raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul knew. Okay, I should be going back a little bit. Paul had to, uh, this, this verse in 13, it's quoted from Psalm 116.10. Again, he wasn't just sharing in Christ's suffering, he was also going to share in his resurrection. Paul knew that at any time he could die as a result of his sufferings. But death is not the end of the road. It wasn't the end of the road for Jesus and it won't be the end of the road for us either. In verse 14, it says, Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul says, I will be too. Paul says, Jesus went to heaven and I will too. This psalm, Psalm 116.10, it was perfect for Paul. Because when the psalmist wrote it, the psalmist was in trouble. Yet his faith held him and carried him. The psalmist's faith didn't fail him, even though his circumstances were unbearable. Paul's faith didn't fail him. Even as bad and never-ending as his situation was. Paul said in verse 14, he said, I believe and therefore I have spoken. Paul was saying, hey, I couldn't have said what I said if it hadn't been for my faith. No man can say anything about the things of God unless he believes them. The most powerful speech that's ever been spoken by man has come from a heart totally convinced of the truth of God. And the issues of life and death only brought Paul to the word of God. And that's what the issues of life and death should do. The things that we go through in this life, the experiences, the heartaches, the hardships, the losses, the deaths, they should bring us to the word of God. Resurrection was as sure to Paul as God's promised word made them. Paul believed it. He spoke it. And Satan and all of his demons and all that Satan could do to Paul could not shut him up. And you see, that's why Paul was looking forward to the day, as it says in verse 14, when he presents us with you. In other words, when he raises us up with you alive. By inference, Paul was challenging the Corinthians to make sure that they could look forward to their presentation, to that day that they would be in that resurrection just as much as Paul was looking forward to that day. So it's not surprising that Paul now turns from talking about our troubled hearts to talking about our blessed hope. Look at verse 15. For all things are for your sake. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The purpose of his suffering, Paul said, is for the good of the people. He said, for all, for all things are for your sakes. The first purpose given for Paul's sufferings was for the good of the people. 
His suffering resulted in the people of Corinth hearing the gospel and being saved. And he also said next, for the glory of God. He said, to abound to the glory of God. The suffering experiences are for the glory of God. And the believers can't complain because Jesus suffered greatly for them so they could be saved and be glorified. Verse 16, we see the perseverance of his, of his service. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Paul said, man, we don't lose heart in our service to the Lord. We don't lose heart in our sufferings for the Lord. The way he looked at his problems caused him to keep on going. See, it's all in our perspective. You need a good perspective of life for good Christian service. Because it will keep us going when the road gets rough and it gets dangerous. In verses 17 through 18, we are going to see the fruit of Paul's trials. And these verses, like verse 16, give good perspective about the trials. Now, one good perspective is valuing your trials. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction is but for a moment, which is but for is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This verse is probably very familiar with a lot of Christians. This verse has encouraged so many Christians who have suffered down through the ages. And in this verse, Paul gave us his perspective of his trials in three ways. First, he says, notice in verse 17, he says, it's our light affliction. Paul says, my trials were light, even though I was stoned and left for dead, even though I had been imprisoned many times, shipwrecked, made, and had many other great problems. But he says, compared to eternity, man, they were lightweight. What seems heavy seems light. And then the second part of Paul's perspective, he says, the length of my afflictions, they were but for a moment. But for a moment. He says, even though my life was filled with trials, they were only for a moment. They weren't long term. When you have your eyes on eternity, you can say that like Paul. Third, the fruit of his affliction. He said, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Afflictions bring great blessings. That's what they're designed to do. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See the fruit of the affliction? The psalmist says, I keep your word. Before I was keeping your word, before I was you know, paying attention to your word or following it closely, I was afflicted. Or I should say, before I was afflicted, when I wasn't, you know, uh, uh, keeping your word. But now since I've been afflicted, you know, when I had gone astray, now I keep your word because of the affliction. Psalm 119.71, uh, the, the psalmist said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. He's got the right perspective now. It was good for me when I was afflicted. Whatever that affliction was, whatever the psalmist went through. He said, now I see that it was good for me because now I have learned your statutes. And then in Psalm 119, 75, the psalmist said, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in, a, in faithfulness you afflicted me. 
Great words. Because many times when we go through afflictions and we experience judgments, God, uh, do you know what you're doing? Are you sure of what you're doing? But the psalmist said your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you afflicted me. Many times when we go through afflictions, we think, you know, that, that God, what are you doing once again? God doesn't love me or I've done something wrong. But in his faithfulness, his good to us, his love for us, his grace to us, and his mercy, you have, you have allowed this in my life. During the time you're going through the affliction, it is hard to realize that particular truth that God's judgments are right and that in faithfulness he's doing this to me or allowing this to me in my life. It's hard to see that. We always listen to Satan's little voice saying, oh, you must have messed up or God doesn't love you. And instead of, hey, trusting in the Lord that his judgments are always right and that he's faithful to us. But notice the trade-off between dividends and, and difficulties. Paul says the difficulties were light, but the payoff was heavy. It was an exceeding weight. The difficulties were short. They were but for a moment. The payoff was long for eternity. The difficulties, yeah, they were grievous. They were an affliction, but the payoff, glorious. We will see glory. You see, this is great perspective when it comes to our trials. Verse 18. <clears throat> While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is how we should see our trials. So we do not look at the things, that is the troubles in our life, which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. In trials, we must get our eyes off of the temporal that is, off of the trials and put them onto the eternal if we're going to have a victorious perspective of our trials. And that's what Paul did. And that's why Paul was able to take hardship and persecution in stride. Paul's perspective, hey, it's part of the program. It's part of my journey. It's part of my life. And Paul was so confident and he was so capable of dealing with hardship and persecution that he'd go on without missing a step. Paul looked at his time in prison. He looked at his time of, in, in the beatings that he experienced. He looked at those things as things seen and as temporary so that the more exceeding and eternal weight of glory he looked at that as not seen and eternal. So in closing, we hear these beautiful words of Paul on how to deal with our trials and how to, the perspective we're, we, we need to have. And the unsaved world thinks we're weird, even crazy, because we insist on the reality of the invisible world of spiritual blessing. And yet Christians are happy to guide and live their lives by eternal values and not the temporal bargains that this world has to offer. Hebrews 11.1 1 speaks of faith. I want to read it from the Amplified, Amplified Version. <clears throat> it says, Faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things that we hope for. 
being the proof of things that we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. You know, our faith is in God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't fail. And there may be times when our faith goes against all of our senses, totally against all of our senses. We are called to believe in spite of it. Faith is unseen reality. God said it. He's going to do it. We just believe it and wait. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful passage, this this instructive passage, Lord, this passage that helps us how to see the trials that we go through, Father, to help us have the perception to see them through your eyes, God, and know that they're, they're just temporary, they're but for a moment, Lord, that we might receive a greater weight in glory. Father, help us to, be, to remember that, Father, to follow Christ. There's a dying daily. <clears throat> that it's a call to death. A death to myself. That I might live for Jesus. That those around me may not see the, the, the earthen vessel, the clay jar, but the light that is in the vessel. May that be what people see always, God. Help us to be those shining lights in this dark world. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that we're about to receive today. We thank you, as always, for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.